Is Jesus Lord? Is he Lord of your life? (laughs) If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, Scripture says you will be saved. And so it is a pivotal question that everyone must answer one day before God or in this lifetime, is Jesus Lord? The year 2014, we talked a lot about going. I go was our our theme, but it was more than a theme. It's part of the DNA of our church, and that is the Great Commission. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and therefore go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we went on this journey about going in the year 2014. And we looked at uh, 33 different people in, in God's Word and how they went and how it impacted their lives and how it could impact our lives. And if we need a refresher, let's refresh ourselves on what I stands for. I stands for intentional that we would be intentional in the way we live our lives. Because if we say Jesus is Lord, then we understand what Galatians teaches us, that I and you have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I or you living in yourself, but is Christ, the hope of glory, living in you. And you're doing it not out of duty, not out of fear, but because of an incredible love that you have for Jesus because he's what he's because of what he's done for you. And then after intentional, we're going to be generous. We're going to be generous in the way we use our lives. And in fact, all of us have time and talent and treasure, and we're going to use them in such a way that when we use our lives, we're going to go and basically be the fragrance of Christ to everywhere and everywhere. And then intentional and generous, and the last one was O, which is opportunistic. We're going to be opportunistic in the way we risk our lives. Because when we get involved in people's lives, when we invest in another human being, when we go and get involved, a lot of times it's a little messy. huh? Have you been there, done that? There are people in our lives that we love and we want to invest in, and there's opportunities to share Christ, the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. We have a chance to to be in their lives, but sometimes it looks a little messy, and that means there's a risk, because sometimes people will reject you just because of Christ living in you. And so today is the final I go, and it's all about Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. You have your Bibles? Turn there. Luke chapter 15. Chapter 15 is known as the lost chapter of the Bible. I bet you didn't know that. Yeah, it's the lost chapter of the Bible because Jesus is going to tell three parables and they're all about things that have been lost. The first thing he says is a parable is about a shepherd. And a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one wanders off. And it says that the shepherd goes and he finds the one by leaving the 99. And when he finds it, he puts it on his back and he carries it back. And he has a party, a celebration, because the lost was found. And then the other parable Jesus tells us is about a woman. 
and a woman that has 10 silver coins, and she loses one of them in her house. So she turns her house upside down looking for that very valuable coin, and when she finds it, she calls her neighbors around and say, rejoice with me, because what was lost is now found. And maybe the most famous lost story in the Bible is the prodigal son. It's about a father who lost one of two sons to rebellious living. And he comes home, and the father celebrates. But the key to understanding all the parables, these three parables, is found in verse 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, read with me, along with me. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the key to understanding the parable. It's, it's, who is the audience? Now, it's really interesting that the Greek word for receive is a very strong word. It means to embrace, but it really conveys the idea that Jesus treats sinners and tax collectors as family. Think about that. He views sinners the low life, the scums, the drug heads, everything in our life that we would be a little put off by, Jesus sees them and receives them as family. He embraces them. But the Pharisees and the self-righteous people could care less about sinners or about lost people, people that are cut off from God. And they, they just could care less about them. And Jesus is going to tell these three parables, and you're going to notice that each item that is lost, and each story tells a condition about the lost of today. Sheep, what were sheep categorized as? Dumb and helpless. If you've ever worked with sheep, and some of you have, you know how dumb they are. And you know how helpless they are. I don't know if it's the only animal that can fall down and not get up on its own. But it is, it is helpless. And there are people in our world that are ignorant. That doesn't mean they're dumb. It just means they don't know about Jesus. In fact, there are millions of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. And then there are millions upon millions more that just think that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is a curse word. They don't know Jesus. They are ignorant. They are dumb, if you want to use that terminology they can see where they need to go, but they don't know how to get there. They don't have the direction in their life. And that's, that, that's a good illustration of, of somebody that's lost. How about a lost coin? Well, how does that represent lost people today? Because they're lifeless. They're dead. They're spiritually dead. They're not able to, to see the light of Christ because they've never heard the gospel presented to them. And the parable three is about a lost son, and his condition and his lostness is all about his attitude, about his rebellion, and about his wickedness. So dumb and helpless, dead and senseless, rebellious and wicked. And all three parables describe the condition of the lost of our world. But again, the Pharisees and self-righteous people of our day and age could care less about the lost. But if you notice in the text that we're going to jump into, if you've heard this, the parables before, you know that all of heaven rejoices when the lost are found. 
The joy of God is when the lost are found. And so all three parables have the same structure. There's something that's lost, something that's sought after, something that's found, and then there's a party. There's a celebration. But I want you to catch the irony that's in the story because Jesus is talking to the self-righteous. He's talking to the Pharisees. And if you remember, the first parable is about a shepherd. And shepherds were despised in that culture. Talk about being on the lowest rung on of occupation. And these are doctors of the law. And suddenly Jesus says to them, pretend that you're a shepherd. That in and of itself was pretty offensive to these guys. What? Consider, Consider yourself as a shepherd? What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, Jesus is starting and asking them, I want you to pretend that you're a shepherd. Those whom you despise, you're a shepherd. And then he, underst- then he says, and, w- and what do they do? Well, they go seek that which is lost. Wouldn't you know what to do if you were a shepherd, Pharisees? Yeah, we, we would. And then in the second parable, there's irony here because now Jesus says, now I want you to pretend that you're a woman. Now, we have to understand the culture back in those days. To be, a col- to be a woman in that culture meant you were disrespected by all the men in society because women had no value. And so now, he says, now instead of pretending that you're a shepherd, now I want you to pretend that you're a woman. And if you were a woman and you lost a coin, would you know what to do? Of course, they know what to do. They're going to look for the coin. And all of those parables he's asking them to pretend except for the third one third one they actually become a part of the story they're going to be the the son that stays home and grumbles when the lost is found and so jesus moves them from one sheep out of a hundred to one coin out of ten to one out of two the percentages are getting a whole lot bigger going from one percent to ten percent to fifty percent and now let's get to our parable. Let's, let's, let's look at the smallest parable. Beginning at verse 8, it says this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have to kind of put ourselves into the context of this parable. Pretend that you're a shepherd, now pretend that you're a woman, and you have ten coins. These ten coins were probably her dowry. The dowry she was given when she was married away. In the case that her husband was to die, this is her only sense of security, these 10 coins. Now today we use cash all the time. We go to ATMs. It flies in and out of our hands so fast. Sometimes I just wave at my money, don't you? But back then they bartered a lot. Peasants and poor people in villages did not use cash like we use cash They used the barter system all the time. 
And so these ten coins were very precious to her. Some women would tie them up in a handkerchief like a little purse. Some would actually braid them into their hair. Some would actually be in a headpiece. And it reminded them of their wedding and their dowry. And one of the coins goes missing and she grabs a broom, something that she can sweep the floor with. The floor is dirt. It's dusty, there's debris, it has cracks. Trying to find a small coin that weighed 4.2 grams. I mean, it's hardly anything. And yet she's going to turn her world upside down in order to find the lost coin. It's so valuable to her. And I love that Jesus doesn't say if she finds the coin. Scripture says when she finds the coin. She is not going to rest until that coin is found. The point is, is that which is lost is very valuable. The image that Jesus is painting is this. Christ, or let's say his followers, that would be us, we're the woman in, in, in the little dirt home. The lost sinner is hidden in the cracks and the dirt and the debris of this lost and dirty world. And so let me ask you again, is Jesus Lord? Then you have been commanded to go and to seek the lost. Uh, Grab your outline for a second. Something very, very important on it. It's blue. Up at the top it says this, lost people matter to God. Therefore, they ought to matter to the church. That's a core value. That's part of the DNA of this church. Lost people matter because they matter to God. We spent nearly a year on I Go to encourage you, to empower you, to energize you, to knock down any excuses that we would come up with with why we couldn't go, why we can't have a ministry, and we used the I go to challenge us to go. And we have to work hard on not becoming a Pharisee or to get distracted in the goodness of our own life that we forget that there are lost people out in the world that have never understood or heard the gospel presented to them. The good news that God loves them so much that he gave his only son that whosoever believed this should not perish but have everlasting life. And we need to keep on that mission. And there are thousands of ways to go, aren't there? There are thousands of ways to seek the lost with intentionality, with generosity, looking for opportunities. I want to look at where we've been in the past year. We started off with, I go as Martha and Mary. And we said, I go in my own personality. I'm not Rob. I'm not Mike. I'm not Phil. I'm not David. We are all an own personality. And God has given each and every one of us a ministry. I don't care if you're five or if you're 55 or 105. In fact, I have a great story about my daughter who was swimming in a community pool when she was six years old, swam over to another little girl and said, do you know Jesus Do you know that family ended up coming to church and today that man is an elder at Prescott Christian Church because a six-year-old girl 
said, do you know Jesus? We have a ministry, each and every one of us. And then we looked at Elijah who went to the needy, the widow who poured oil into her jars. By giving handouts to low-income people, which is relief, we're, we're, who are capable of helping themselves, we talked about what real poverty is. We contribute to their sense of shame and undermine their capacity to work. We think in poverty in terms of income and housing and food and clothes and toys and the lack of material things is a part of poverty, but real poverty is hopelessness. And the fu- feeling of uh, uselessness. Shame is a part of poverty, and ignorance is a part of poverty, and lacking opportunities is a part of poverty, and they are the helpless sheep. And then I go as Onesimus or Philemon, and I go to those who are enslaved, people that are in your neighborhood, your world, your family, maybe even yourself, you're enslaved. You're enslaved because you're addicted to busyness, or you're addicted to porn, or you're addicted to anger, you're addicted to self-pity. There are so many lost people that are enslaved today, and they are powerless to get freed unless Christ comes into their lives. And we go. We cannot be the ivory tower. We cannot just open our front door and say, all those that are trapped, enslaved, and in a strong tower, we want you to come out and come to the ivory tower. No, we have to come out of the ivory tower and go to the enslaved. I go as Jonah, I go to my enemies, and then I go as John Mark, I go to be a helper. Mike got to to preach on Ruth, I go as Ruth, to leave everything behind because your past does not dictate your future, amen? I am so glad that is true. My past does not dictate my future in Christ. I go, and I hope that you remember this one, I go as the demoniac, the one that had the legion of demons, and I go to tell others about what God has done in my life. And we threw a picture of Mitch Potter up there. He was holding a sign that says, I hurt myself, I was broken. Because change is scary, but when you are broken, change is what you need. I'm not telling you that it's going to be easy. I'm telling you that it's going to be worth it. We all have a testimony of what God has done for us. Every one of us has a testimony, and we can go with that testimony. On Mother's Day, we went as Hannah, a loving mother who went to dedicate her child to the Lord. And she dedicated to the Lord what she longed for. Therefore, we, what we worship is what we really dedicate our children to. (laughs) I don't know if you caught it. But when you worship money, that's what we dedicate our children to. When you worship sports, that's what you dedicate your children to. When you worship self-interest and selfishness, that's what you're dedicating your children to. That's what you're putting in in their DNA. And Hannah was an incredible mother that gave what she wanted most of all over to the Lord. And then we had the day of service, and I, I go as Dorcas. I go to pay it forward. God did a good work in us that we could then... Go do a good work to others. And we can't pay Jesus back, but boy, we can pay it forward to someone else in his name. I go as Zacchaeus. I go to make amends, earn the right to be heard. If you become a Christian and and yet you've ripped people off your whole life, 
you got to go and make amends. The consequences of our actions may have produced emotional, financial, and physical pain for others. What it means to make restitution or amend is making things whole or right and not doing the behavior again. Making amends requires more than an apology. Making amends, though, releases us from feelings of avoidance and guilt and shame, and we're making things right with God's strength. And then we went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I go with conviction because conviction is based on the Word of God, the unchangeable Jesus Christ, not my opinion, not my mood, or my circumstances. From the Word flows our worldview, our beliefs, values, and philosophies, our moral code and the principles we courageously live out in faith. A conviction is when you say, I believe it, trust it, stand in it, even if it's not convenient, causes hardship or brings pain, even when you are thrown in the fiery furnace. I go and I go with conviction. Then we had Father's Day and I go as a father. To be a father. Sad that most fathers don't even pass their faith on to their children because they're so passive. Our children's hearts will grow what is planted in them. Our children's hearts will grow what is planted in them. And then we did this screen from our our smartphones. He sends a, a text to his son and says, can't talk right now, I'll call you later. And the son says, okay. And then dad says, can't talk right now. I'm disengaged from your life. The son answers, I know. And then the father sends the text, can't talk right now. I'm too insecure to tell you what I think. The son sends back a, a frown. And then the final text from dad says this, can't talk right now. I'm a passive father. And the text the son sends back is what? I need you, Dad. I go as a father. I go to pass on my faith to my own children. Even if they're adult children, I still want to pass on my faith by having spiritual conversations. And then I go as Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector, who had lots of friends that were the scum of the earth. And I go to introduce Jesus to my friends because compassionate people look for opportunities to share the love of others or the love of Christ to others. Or to, if you say it another way, to love others to Jesus. And then we looked at Nehemiah. I go to stand in the gap. And every generation, and that includes us, includes you, and every generation, God is looking for someone to rise up and to stand in the gap. And we've been called to go and to stand in that gap. We talked about green eggs and ham. And as I go as Paul, Paul just constantly kept finding new and different ways to present the gospel. I go to to be all things to all people to win some. Then we looked at Abraham, and I go where he sends me. Whether it's Kosovo or Africa or across the street to your neighbor whom you're afraid to talk to about Jesus, I still go. I go where he sends me. Or I go as Mary Magdalene. 
I go in my devotion to Christ. Because when we grow closer to Christ, we realize more fully of what He has delivered us from. The closer you, you come to Jesus, the more you realize how much you needed Him from the very beginning. As pride is dismantled in a Christian's life, there's a dawning of our ugliness and unrighteousness. But the beautiful thing is we begin to see Christ more fully, more beautiful, more unchangeable, more magnificent, more glorious than ever before. See, Mary loved Jesus more than her life. For Mary, Jesus was her life. I go without compromise. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I got that out of order. And I go as Titus, and I go to do the tough jobs. You know, Titus was sent to the hostile Corinthian church. And sometimes you have to go out and speak tough love, don't you? Sometimes you have to catch yourself out of pity or compassion to stop enabling people. And God is sending you to be the tough person that will go and speak truth into someone's life that desperately needs to hear it. And we go and we do the tough jobs. We don't take our hand off the plow. We don't walk away. We're not afraid because Christ has called us to go and do some tough things in this world. Where I go as able. I go in obedience. Because obedience is a heart issue, not a performance issue. Let me say that again. Obedience is a heart issue, not an outward compliant issue. I go as Barnabas, and I go as an encourager. Encouragement means giving someone confidence or strength or boldness to move forward with a message or a warning of hope. Sometimes the only thing that you need in life is just for somebody to come alongside you and put your, their arm around you and say, God be with you. How many times have we had the opportunity to text somebody an encouraging word that's going through a storm in their life and it doesn't seem like the storm's letting off or letting up? And we can encourage. And I go to be an encourager. And then I go not as Balaam. I don't go with the highest bidder because the way of Balaam is to do what is politically correct. I'm so tired of political correctness, it just makes me... Can I say throw up? It just does. Why, Why do we care what the world thinks? Why don't we care more about what Jesus thinks? Why do we back down because our society and peer pressure puts pressure on us to be politically correct and we don't speak the truth and it has to be spoken in love, but we need to speak the truth in love. And then the heir of Balaam, he left what was right because he had a chance to make money at it. And then the teaching of Balaam was idolatry and sexual immorality is okay. The world, our our world that we live in is full of it. We have so many idols, we don't even think we have idols because the land is full of idols. And our sexual immorality is off the chart, just off the chart. And here's why, because if the world can't curse you because you're the beloved of God, then the world's going to try to corrupt you. 
So we learned from that. And then I go as Esther in spite of my circumstances because stuff happens in a fallen world. And God asks us to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason regardless of the consequences. The promise of the Lord is this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. And then we win as David. I go as David. I go with praise on my lips. Because head knowledge is something that we possess, but heart knowledge is something that grabs a hold of your heart. It just grabs a hold of you. And then I go as Job, and we heard from Evan, and how he shared his, his part of his life with Izzy and Ezekiel. And I go to trust what I don't understand. And then I go as Joseph. I go to offer forgiveness because Christian... I'm talking to me and you, Christian, we are to be preoccupied about the relationships and making them healthy and making them whole. And then I go as Abigail, I go as a peacemaker. I go as Elijah and I go to confront my, my culture and we had an anvil up here and we just hammered on it a bit. And I go not as Achan who refused to give God the first fruits. I go in, as Gideon and I go as, in his might, in God's strength. And I go as Philip. I go to explain Christ to others because the gospel message is not religion. Rules and morality can't produce a desire or a hunger for God. Loving Jesus causes you to love right, not just do right. The gospel doesn't work by command or compulsion or by rules. It works by announcement. The gospel works when you just announce the good news of Christ. And then we win as Jacob, and we even go when God has to wrestle with us and break us. God wrestles with us to bring us to a place of understanding about ourselves and our faith in Him. We just have to go allow Him to wrestle with us. Whether it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the at night when God wakes us up and wrestles with us. And then I go as Ezra. I go to call people to purity. But here's the greatest I go there is. I go to seek and save the lost. That is the biggest I go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. And so let me ask you again, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? And He tells you to go. And you can go in your strength or in His. You can go in someone else's personality or your own. You can go to make amends or stay self-righteous. You can go and make a difference in this world by encouraging, or you can hold yourself up in an ivory tower. The choice is yours, but the Lord has commanded us to go. That everywhere your foot trods this week, you bring around the fragrance of Christ to everybody that meets you, if Christ is living in you. And we're commanded to go. It's not an option. It's not for paid staff. It's not for the elders. It's not for the leadership. It is for each and every one of us has our own unique ministry. And there are a thousand ways to go. And there are thousands, thousands, thousands of people that need to hear 
the message of the gospel. On your outline, number one says, I will go and intentionally share my faith. And I'm asking you to fill this in with a name that you know. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. But if you are not going to be intentional about sharing your faith, chances are it's not going to happen. Because the enemy doesn't want the gospel to get out. And I'm asking you to put a name in that fill in the blank that is unique to you. And you're going to be intentional. And you're then not only going to do that, you're going to look for ways to maybe bring up what God has done for you. And how you can share your faith. I'm not asking you to take them down the Roman road yet. I'm not asking you to to explain the gospel in a 15-minute video presentation. I am asking you to share your faith with someone you love, that you care about, that you know is outside of Christ, and they don't understand or don't quite believe the message. And I'm asking you to just share, what has God done in your life, and can you share that with this person? Be intentional. And then the second thing says, I will be generous with my time, my talent, and treasure to help lead others to Christ, to strengthen their faith, or just to love them. It's a commitment to be generous. And not just with money. Of all the things you could be generous with, that's probably the least important but investing in another human being because life on life is where transformation happens. When Christ is speaking to another life, as iron sharpens iron. And the third is this, I will look for opportunities every day to engage in spiritual conversations with people or to serve them. I will look for opportunities to share, or to serve. And then there's a little line that's dotted, and I'm going to ask that you would fold it and be prepared to tear it off. But before you do that, you were to sign this commitment card. We've spent an entire year about going, and now this is the day of challenge. Today is the day of where the rubber meets the road. We've talked, we've been ethereal, we've, we've learned, we've, we've been encouraged, we've been strengthened. We, we understand now that God cares about lost people and so they matter to us. Now I'm asking you, would you sign your name to that? Is Jesus Lord? He's commanded you to do these things. Would, would you sign your name to it? And if so, would you tear it off and put it in the offering plate? as you're offering unto the Lord. And if you don't have an outline, you can use one of our cards that are in the back of the pew. And you can just write on there, I go, and sign your name to it. And, and you're, you're going to keep that upper piece of paper to remind you. I hope you put it on your refrigerator. I hope you put it on your mirror in your bathroom. I hope that you see that name every day and pray for that name every day until they come to Christ. 
I believe signing the commitment card is a powerful affirmation for you. It's focusing your core values on what you believe that lost people do matter. Now maybe you're here and you don't know the gospel. Then there's an open invitation. Maybe you're here and you want to make this your home church and you want to go with everyone else and this is your church family and you've just never made that commitment. Then today can be that commitment. But we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation to come. Maybe sometimes for prayer. Maybe for encouragement. Maybe God hasn't even given you a name and you're wondering why. And you just need to be praying about that. I'm going to ask that you stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation for you to come and to respond. Let's sing together.